Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. This morning we're going to be talking about being sent there. Uh, second installment in our uh, series about missional living being sent my wife Lori and I got married in December of 1991 in uh, Craigmont, Idaho. And uh, she was finishing up her bachelor's degree when we met and, uh, and when we got married. And her um, bachelor's degree was a three-discipline um, study. So she did a little bit of sociology, psychology, and education. And uh, one of the things that uh, she did as a part of her sociology class uh, was she wrote a paper on the Rosebud Indian Reservation. And then we got married, and our first assignment was uh, the Winter Ideal Parish in South Dakota. And uh, the Winter is a, a small town, about 3,500 people, uh, not too far from the Missouri River, just west of there. And, uh, and then Ideal is a, a little open country uh, Presbyterian church um, located at a uh, Dakota Indian village. Uh, and that tract of land that that village was on was a part of, you guessed it, the Rosebud Indian Reservation. Uh, so even before we got married, Lori was being prepared to be there. And uh, one of the things about that Presbyterian church was that even though it was located in the little village of Ideal, none of the people in Ideal actually attended that church. Uh, those that were religious were mostly Episcopalian, but the people that had started the church and were participating in the Ideal Presbyterian Church were ranchers and farmers from the surrounding area. They would drive into Ideal uh, to be a part of that church. And it was, it was kind of ironic in some ways is that the Presbyterian Church was there, but it really had no connection with the village, with the people that were around it. And so one of the beautiful things that Lori was able to do as our time of ministry was there was to uh, form a relationship with the Dakota people and the Presbyterian people. And so one of the things that we did was uh, we simply decided that we were going to have a feast potluck worship fest uh, for the whole community. And so uh, the Native American people had a uh, worship band and we invited them to come in and lead the worship. Uh, we put a tent up and tables and we filled it with food and invited everybody to come and eat. And then uh, we went inside the Presbyterian church and the uh, worship team led us in worship and we sang and praised and uh, shared scripture and, and it was very powerful. One of the things that was said by one of the um, Native American people was that I've lived in ideal all my life and I never thought I would be able to see the inside of the Presbyterian Church. That's how closed off things were there. And so we were able to bring uh, these groups of people together and do some ministry and at least start uh, some kind of relationship. Uh, getting from here to there uh, is challenging. Here is uh, where we're comfortable, but there is different. It has distance. It has difference. It, it has division and separateness to it. And the opportunities that are there are hidden opportunities, uh, ones that are hard to discern, ones that require effort on our part, and ones that demand change. 
You know, we have the saying, opportunity knocks on the door and you open it up and there it is. But, but when opportunity comes, it doesn't look like an opportunity, does it? Sometimes opportunity looks like a problem. And we kind of want to avoid problems. Sometimes opportunity looks like conflict. And, and we don't really like conflict. And so we kind of shy away from that. And sometimes opportunity looks like hard work. And sometimes we're not willing to engage in what's necessary to do that. But opportunity indeed is there. In this sermon series, we have uh, been looking at uh, the uh, Great Commission in Acts at verse 8. That's our anchor verse. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we're talking about it in terms of being sent uh, here, there, and everywhere. And this morning we're looking at uh, being sent there. But we took, talked about being sent here last week, and Pastor Ben reminded us that we need to start where we are, that we need to tell what we know, and that we need to ask for the Holy Spirit uh, to be involved in our life. If you have your Bible with you, I'd invite you to get that out. Uh, we're going to start in the Gospel of John, but we're going to be mostly in the book of Acts. But I invite you to get it out, hold it up. If it's on your phone or tablet, that's good too. Hold it up, and let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for your word. Your word gives us life. And so, Father, we ask that you would uh, give us open minds and hearts to receive what you have for us this morning, that as we take in your word, you would give us life and that you would use us in ministry. We thank you for your grace in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, there's a story at the culmination of uh, the story of the woman at the well uh, in the Gospel of John at chapter 4. Uh, and uh, we're familiar with that story of how Jesus met that woman and what happened with her. Uh, but she had gone into the village and was declaring, come and see the man who told me everything that I have ever done. And uh, the people are coming out to the well and Jesus has this word to say to his disciples, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. Jesus is asking us simply to lift up our eyes and see. This morning we're going to be talking about being sent there and what I'm going to do is talk about uh, some missional living principles and then we're going to look at some examples of how these get lived out from the book of Acts. And so the, the principles, the three buckets that we're going to look at this morning are simply being filled, being open, and being available. So those are the kind of the three headings that we're going to look at this morning. So I'll give you some uh, structure that you can, can look at and keep notes with. And so the first important aspect of being sent there is that we need to be filled. And what we need to be filled with primarily is the Holy Spirit. When we read through the book of Acts and through the New Testament, we discover that over and over again, the people that God is using in ministry are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's one of the first things that is described about them, that is said about them. 
On the day of Pentecost, the 120 have been in the upper room waiting for the power uh, to be manifested. And when the Holy Spirit comes, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, this is what it says of, uh, of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so all of them were filled. And as they spoke, a crowd was drawn and many people were converted because of that experience. Uh, Peter, before he preached uh, in the temple to a crowd that had gathered because of a miracle that had been done, Acts chapter 4, verse 8, uh, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders. And then he goes on into the sermon that he actually preached there and gives a description of that. But notice that Peter even though he's been filled on the day of Pentecost, even later he's filled again with the Holy Spirit before he speaks again. And then in Acts 4.31, at the conclusion of that story, as uh, religious persecution from the religious leaders of the Jewish people is becoming uh, apparent, uh, the congregation prays. And verse 31 of that fourth chapter says this, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So it's not just leaders that are filled, not just apostles that are filled, but it's congregations that are filled with the Spirit. When Paul, before he became Paul, was known as Saul, was a persecutor of the church, on his way to Damascus, encountered Jesus. His eyes were blinded, and he was given instructions to go into Damascus and wait. And then Ananias was sent to him, and in verse 17 of chapter 9, uh, this is what Ananias has to say uh, to Saul. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul's life is transformed because he's being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the disciples in the church of Antioch uh, are described as being filled with the Holy Spirit. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit, and they were used by God for that. In Romans 15, 13, uh, Paul, in giving a benediction to the church at Rome, speaks a blessing over them and reminds them of the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us hope. And then back in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, uh, those deacons that have been chosen uh, to wait on tables, they're described this way. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So being filled with the Holy Spirit is important for us, that, that we need to be filled with the Spirit in order to, to be used by God, and that when we are filled by the Spirit, we'll be able uh, to be used and be able to move with what God is doing in us. But the second thing that we need to be filled with is the living Word. Uh, we need to have the Bible, the Scripture uh, in us. Uh, Pastor Ben is often saying things like this, that uh, God can only get out of us what we've got in us. And we can't go beyond what we know. Uh, and, and so it's important for us to, to read the Bible, uh, to meditate on it, to take it in, to have it in our heart so that God can draw that out and use us. In John 14, 26, uh, Jesus describing the work of the Holy Spirit says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, 
whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, friends, if you haven't taken it in and you don't know it, the Holy Spirit can't help you remember it because it's not there in the first place. So we have to take the word into our life. We have to be reading scripture, meditating on it, uh, allowing it to soak into us so that at the right time the Holy Spirit can draw it out and use us so that we can speak into uh, the situations around us and into our life. Uh, scripture is powerful. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so scripture uh, is an act of God's creative power. He breathes it out. It has his authority in it. And so it is useful for all those things. It can teach us, guide us, correct us, and helps us be equipped for every good work. And so scripture is significant, and we need to have that word in our life. Paul, in the Hebrew letter, at uh, verse 12 of chapter 4, uh, reminds us that the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And, and so when we have that word living in us, God is able to use that not only in our own life, but in the life of those around us. We need to be recognizing that it is the word of God that has caused us to say yes to Jesus in our own salvation experience. First Peter 1, 23, Peter reminds uh, the people that he's writing this letter to, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. It is that word of God that gives us life that has caused us to say yes to Jesus in the first place. We need to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, uh, with those characteristics that the Spirit develops in us of love, uh, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Spirit brings all those things into our life as we develop and grow so that we can be useful uh, to the work of Jesus. And we need to have the love of Jesus uh, in our heart. We, we can have the Spirit, we can have Scripture, but if we don't have the love of Jesus, we're not going to be as effective. I would remind you of uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and the significance of love in the way that God uses us and that His love is always for us and with us and we can't be separated from, it, from Him. Not only do we need to be filled with the Spirit and filled with the Word, uh, but we need to be open uh, to the opportunities that are around us. Matthew 13, 3, Jesus began a parable, and he started this way. A sower went out to sow. The picture of a person beginning to scatter seed in the field so he can plant his crop and at the right time gather a harvest. But can you imagine what would happen if uh, the seed sack was still sewn up when he went out to sow seed and he reached in and it was closed and he couldn't get any seed out? How could he scatter the seed in his field? So we need to have an openness uh, present. If we're going to scatter the seed of the gospel, we have to have it open so that we can obtain it, so that we can scatter it. And so that is... Uh, uh, the idea that we need to have an openness about us. And the first thing that needs to be open is our heart. 
Jesus is the one who models having an open heart. Time after time in the Gospels, we see Jesus encounter people in all kinds of circumstances in their life. Uh, some are uh, blind, uh, some are paralyzed, uh, some are um, sick in various ways, uh, some have demonic uh, possession or oppression about them, uh, some of them uh, are um, in difficult circumstance. And Jesus is described this way, Matthew 9:36. it says at many different times, many different places, but it says of Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was moved by what he saw. He felt compassion for them. He was moved in his spirit. And then he acted out of that feeling. It doesn't say that he just felt something about them, but he acted because of the way that he felt, that he did something to intercede. So often we run into people that have terrible circumstances in their life. And all we see is a circumstance. And we react to that. And we don't look behind it to see the person, but to see how they are and what they really need and how they're struggling. And we don't have... Uh, a way to interact with them because we only see the surface. But Jesus was moved by compassion and he gave them exactly what they needed in that moment so that they could receive wholeness and move forward. We also need to have an open mind. If we're going to be involved in relationships, if we're going to be involved with people and have compassion for them, then we need to be asking relational questions so that we can make sure that we're building strong relationships with people, that we're building community. And so one of the questions we need to be asking is, are we building authentic community? Are, are we... Uh, having integrity in the way that we're dealing with people? Are we drawing them together so that they can relate with each other and with us? Uh, are we um, valuing people for who they are as creations that God made them to be, not simply as uh, things that would promote our programs and help us feel puffed up about what we're doing in ministry because so many people are involved with it, but they're actually building community. Are we caring? Are we being relational in the way that we're doing things? It's very significant that if we're going to build relationship that we ask those kinds of questions. And, and since we're being sent there, we need to ask questions about movement as well. Uh, are we clear on our vision? If we're going to be sent there, we need to have a clear vision. We need to understand what that is so that when we move and move to a place that's different, we're able to uh, react and do what needs to be done because our vision is clear, our process is clear, our techniques are clear. Uh, are we asking what's next? Are we just getting comfortable in the way things are right now? Or are we looking for what's next? Are we uh, looking for the next frontier? Where is the boundary and how we can press forward into that? And then how do we model all these things in, in a good way and healthy way? And then we need to have open hands. Are we willing to get involved? So many of us just want to sit on the pew on Sunday and enjoy what's going on and take in and receive. But the question for us is, are we willing to get involved? Are we willing to roll up our sleeves and get messy and maybe get dirty for Jesus? Because he's asking us not to sit there, but to get there and to do the things that he's calling us to do. And we need to be open uh, to, pe to people. 
When Jesus commissioned his disciples and sent them out two by two, one of the descriptions that he gave to them was this uh, from Matthew 10, verse 8, uh, from the modern King James Version. It says, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, and then this. You have received freely, freely give. Now just think about all the things that God has done for you. How he has given you his grace. How he's poured that out upon you. How he's blessed you. Lavished grace, forgiveness, mercy upon you. And all of that has been given freely to you. It didn't cost you anything, even though it cost him a great deal. But to you and to me, it's free. And now we need to take that same grace that we've received and give it lavishly, abundantly to those around us so that they also can receive uh, the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus. We need to be open uh, to the needs of people around us. We need to be open to the opportunities that are presented to us. And finally, we need to be available, ready to say yes to Jesus. You know, we're always asking, what's your next yes? For some of you, your, your last yes was simply to come through the door this morning and to be here. Uh, for some of us, it was when you said yes to Jesus. That was your next yes as you had that opportunity. Uh, for, for some of you others, it's been an opportunity to be involved in something that's going on here in the church. And for others, the next yes has been uh, to say yes to be trained for leadership, to be involved in a specific aspect of ministry, to become someone who is being uh, developed as a leader so that you can be launched. There's all kinds of levels of the next yes, and we need to be asking those, looking for those, as God is leading us into those one by one. But we need to be uh, ready to say yes to Jesus. We need to be ready to respond to the Holy Spirit. And we need to be ready to do the one thing that is ours to do. We are being called into a partnership, and that's very significant. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul writing to the Corinthian church says this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Do you, do you see the partnership that's there? Paul didn't do everything at Corinth. He planted seeds. And then Apollos came in and watered the seeds. But it's God who gives the growth overall. And so it is with us. Uh, we don't have to do everything, but there is a partnership that we need to be involved in. John 4:36. again, Jesus speaking about uh, the fields ripe for harvest. He says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. There's a partnership that we need to be involved in. We don't do everything, but we do the one thing that God has called us to do. Some prepare the soil, some scatter seed, some water, others harvest, but it's God who gives the growth and guides everything together. I want to remind us that our experiences in life become ways that we can connect with other people. Now, we often want to look at the good experiences that we have in life and say, yeah, God can use that. I can see that. But did you know that God is looking at the experiences that we would label negative, uh, those places in our life where we've been broken and where we have failed and where we have suffered? Uh, maybe it's been a medical situation. Maybe it's been an addiction. Maybe it's been something else. But uh, we feel like that negative experience in our life is useless. And yet God reminds us that he redeems those and that he uses those in our life. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, 
through 4, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Our experiences, both good and negative, are preparation. And God will use those and bless those to help us connect with people who are going through that exact same thing. There are people that I can reach because of my experiences, but there are people that I can't reach because I don't have a connection with them because of experiences. But you might, because you have an experience that touches their life and their heart. And God will use you in that way to bring comfort as you come alongside someone who's going through something that you've already experienced. And that you will be uh, their mentor, their coach, their person that can give them guidance and direction. You may be their uh, rope uh, thrown into the midst of the storm that they hang on to and that can, they can be pulled out of that because you know exactly what it is they're experiencing it because you've gone through it yourself and have found the grace of Jesus in the midst of it. God will use everything that has happened to you for his glory. They give us points of connection with others and they demonstrate God's power and God's grace. So those are missional principles for being sent there. And I want to look at some stories of people that actually lived it out because when you see how it works in real life, uh, it becomes more powerful for us. So Acts 6, 1 through 4. There's a story in the church uh, in the book of Acts. And it says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now the church at Jerusalem was very, very good at here. They had ministry locked in for Jerusalem and Judea. The church started with 120 people in the upper room. The Holy Spirit fell on them. And within that first day of preaching, 3,000 people came to uh, the Lord. And so they went from 120 to 3,120. Uh, that's explosive church growth. Can you imagine how you would have to organize that many people uh, to be involved in the life of the church? It's a daunting task. And they didn't have any way to do that right off the bat, uh, but they were given that kind of blessing. And then Peter preaches in the temple, and the next thing we know, there's another 5,000 people that have joined the church. So they've gone from 120 to 3,120 to 8,120. And then it says the Lord is adding to the number day by day, and they are growing exceedingly uh, in that community. And then later on it says that many priests were uh, converted and given to the Lord. And so this church is growing uh, gangbusters, explosive church growth. Uh, it is the first megachurch, and they were doing the things well in their community, in their culture. They knew what they were doing. They had it locked down tight. They would worship in the temple courtyards, 
So they would have their large church meetings there in the temple, and then they would meet together in the homes around the table, around food, and uh, they would uh, listen to the apostles' teaching, and, and they would share with one another and be encouraged by one another. And so they had big groups and they had small groups. We'd call those connection groups. And it was wonderful how they were growing and how those were developing and as they were doing that. Uh, and we think as we read through the book of Acts that the church in Jerusalem, this very first church, that they did all things well, uh, that they were blessed by God and that they were growing and they had God's favor and favor of the people and they didn't have any problems at all. And yet here in Acts 6, we discover that they had the very first church meeting because they had a problem. They had conflict in the church. Uh, they had a mixed cultural heritage in the church. They had people who lived in uh, Judea and Jerusalem who were Jewish, who had become Christians. They had people who had grown up in the Greek world who were Hellenistic by culture, but also Jewish who had become Christians. And as they were living out, taking care of widows and orphans as a part of the religious duty of God's people, uh, it was discovered that the Widows and orphans who were part of the Hellenistic Jewish community were getting slighted. They weren't getting as much. They weren't being taken care of as well as the Jewish widows and orphans who were Christians. And so there was conflict in the church. And so they had this meeting, and the first thing that they did was select these people uh, to be waiters on tables. Now, we use the word deacon as a, a religious term of leadership. Uh, so we have pastors and we have elders and we have deacons who are part of the church. And, and yet the root meaning of that word deacon is simply waitstaff, people who bust tables, people who serve at tables, people who bring food and take care of people. And, and if you've ever had that kind of job, you know it's not glamorous, and yet it's significant and important. And these people that were chosen uh, were humble enough to say yes to that kind of ministry, uh, but they didn't stay at that place for very long. Shortly after they were selected, there was a persecution that broke out against the Hellenistic Christians, and they were scattered. And Philip, who was one of those deacons, lived out lifting up his eyes to see what God was doing. He was qualified. He was filled with the Spirit, filled with wisdom. He said yes to waiting on tables, and then God used him. The first place that Philip went was Samaria. Now, there's a, a, a barrier between Jewish people and Samaritan people. There's prejudice. There's differences that are there. And yet, Peter, uh, excuse me, Philip went there and preached the gospel, and many people said yes to Jesus, and a movement of God's Spirit started in that place because of what Peter, uh, because of what Philip did of just speaking the good news of Jesus Christ, many people came uh, to faith in him. And the movement was so large that Peter and John had to come up from Jerusalem to see what was going on, lay their hands on people so that the Holy Spirit would fall upon them as well, and recognizing that the Samaritans also were to be a part of God's people and a move of God's Spirit. The next place we see Philip is that he's on the road and uh, there is a man in a chariot who's coming by. He's described as, an, as a eunuch from Ethiopia, an official uh, to uh, the queen of that place. And he's reading from the book of Isaiah. And so Philip just asked him a, a simple question, a leading question. Do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I understand unless somebody guides me? And so Philip 
climbs up into the chariot with him and shows him Jesus through Isaiah. And they go all through Isaiah and they point out where Jesus is and how he's described and what he's about. And the man's response is to say yes to Jesus. Say, there's water, can I get baptized? And so he's baptized. And Philip is taken away and he continues in ministry doing things. But the Ethiopian goes back to his own country. Do you know that Philip couldn't go to Ethiopia and preach the gospel? That's too much of a difference for him to accomplish. But this Ethiopian can go back to his own people and he can speak the good news, and I'm sure that's exactly what happened. The Coptic church in Ethiopia and Egypt is the second oldest expression of Christian faith in the world. And Philip had a hand in launching that ministry. And then we uh, see Nicholas. He's also in that list of deacons at uh, Acts chapter 6. And Nicholas also is a man who's able to lift up his eyes and see what God has for him. Now, he's also qualified in the same way, filled with the Spirit, filled with wisdom, said yes to waiting on tables. And we don't read much about him. It says that he was a proselyte from Antioch. His home church, his hometown was Antioch. And when this persecution comes, I'm pretty sure that even though it doesn't say so in Scripture, I'm pretty sure that he went home. Where, where would you go if things got tough? Wouldn't you go to your hometown where at least you knew some people and had some relationships? And so he went there. The church in Antioch was started by uh, people. I'm sure that Nicholas was there and had a hand in it. Uh, most often it says that when people were scattered, they preached to the Jewish people. But here in Antioch, it says that the people that started that church specifically began to preach not only to Jewish people there, but to Gentiles as well. And that it was in Antioch that the name Christian first became attached to the followers of Jesus. Now that church in Antioch was uh, established. And Peter heard about that. The apostles heard about that. And they sent Barnabas up from Jerusalem to Antioch uh, to see what was going on. And Barnabas gets up there. He sees what's happening. He begins to preach and teach and expound uh, Jesus to them, and many people come to the faith. And that church grows and becomes a great uh, church. And then Barnabas does another thing that is very significant. He remembers a young man that he met a while back. Uh, his name was Saul. Uh, he was a persecutor of the church in Damascus and became a Christian. And when he came back to Jerusalem, uh, the church there thought that he was engaged in a trick. Uh, you're only saying that you're a Christian because you want to ensnare us and trap us and, and cause us to be uh, arrested. And so they had issues of mistrust about Saul. But Barnabas met with him, talked with him, introduced him to the apostles, and Paul began to do some speaking. But his brand of preaching and firebrand was, was too much for the time. It was stirring up controversy. And so Saul went from Jerusalem to his hometown of Tarsus, and he's just there waiting. We don't know how long he was, but Par Barnabas remembered Saul. And so he went and got Saul and brought him back to Antioch. And by the time we get to chapter 13 in Acts, we discover that Barnabas and Saul and some other people are the leaders of that church. They're the leaders of the prophetic teaching team in Antioch. And it's there that God calls that church and says, I want you to set aside Barnabas and Saul for me because I want to send them out on a mission to the Gentiles. 
And so they did that with prayer and fasting. They laid hands on them and sent them out. And the first place that they go is Cyprus because Barnabas has a connection there. And when they leave, it's Barnabas who's the leader of that mission team. And they go to Cyprus because he has connections there. He knows people there. And they speak. They have great results. And then they go up into Turkey. And it's in that process that Paul becomes uh, more of a leader on the mission team than Barnabas. Uh, but God uses them. You can see how people are being used by God because they're filled, they're open, they're available to say yes uh, to Jesus. This morning, we need to lift up our eyes and see that we need to be filled, that we need to be open, that we need to be available as well. I want to invite the band to uh, come up on the platform. And I would invite you to stand as you're able. We're going to close with some uh, questions this morning. Questions that... Uh, might be challenging, but that are good for us to consider. Are you filled with the Spirit? Are you open to what God is doing, not only in your life, but in, in around you? And are you available? Are you one that is available to say yes to Jesus? Are your eyes open? Can you see where the Spirit is moving around you? And are you willing to say yes to that? You see, those are the only qualifications that God has for His people, that God uses to employ people in ministry. Are you receptive and available? The ones who respond with yes. And so we need to lift up our eyes and see what God is doing. Would you pray with me this morning? Oh, loving God, we thank you for your grace and mercy. Father, you are sending us there. And we know in order to go there that we need to be filled. That we need to be filled with your spirit. That we need to be filled with your word. Uh, that we need to be filled with your love. Loving God, we know that we need to be open, that we need to be open to allowing you to use our life experiences as you will, as points of connection with the people around us. And Lord, we recognize that we need to be available to you, that if we're not available, that you aren't able to move in us. And so Father, we ask that you would open us that you would cause us to be available, that we might be able to say yes to what you're doing. Loving Father, we thank you for everyone who's here. We ask that you would pour out your Spirit upon us, that we might be anointed, that we might be empowered, uh, that we might experience your peace and your presence as you send us from here to there. Thank you for your grace. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, I've got some action steps for you this week. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Ask the Holy Spirit to uh, give you eyes that are open. And then say yes to the opportunities that are presented to you.